0: Hello, this is Jonathan Hatch, the author and uh, narrator of Tales of the Infinitely Possible. A quick warning, the next story does contain some violent imagery and, as ever, quite a lot of swearing as well. If that's not really a thing, uh, then give this one a miss and we'll see you on the next one. And for everyone else, I hope you enjoy it. Jonathan Hatch, read by the author. Today's tale, The Silent Drive. It's a 2,910 mile journey from New York City to Eugene, Oregon, and the city I grew up in. 45 hours by car, and that's not accounting for food stops, sleep and bathroom breaks. That would be torturous enough, but try embarking on that journey with a man you despise so absolutely that the mere mention of his name causes you to involuntary spasm with suppressed rage. Add to that the vehicle, a 1999 dinged-up midnight red Honda Civic with purple velour interior, a broken cassette desk, and a strong smell of chul puke, and he might as well be making a journey along the River Styx. No wonder this trip ended how it did. Still, my mum had died, and I wasn't even remotely close to her, I felt a misplaced sense of duty to be there when her fragile remains were put in the ground for the worms of Oregon to feast upon. With no money for a plane seat, and only 72 hours to get there, I had no other option but to drive, What I didn't bargain for was the phone call I received the night of her death. Hey Sam, just wanted to see how you were holding up. That rage writhed inside of me again. It was my darling brother Danny. It had been two years since we'd last spoken, something he didn't even make reference to. Listen, Uncle Daryl said you were going to drive over tomorrow morning. Mind if I catch a ride? That was expected, but unexpected. Of course, my brother would be would only contact me if he needed something, but the guy was loaded. Why didn't he just catch a flight? I wanted with all my heart to tell him to go fuck himself, but I've never been able to despite everything with every fiber of my being telling me to say no. I agreed to pick him up from the corner of twentieth and Fifth Avenue at seven a m the next morning. One more thing, little brother. He'd already administered his dominance over me, taking control of the situation. Uh, I lost my licence a few months back, so I won't be able to help with the driving. Hope that's okay. (sighs) I picked him up the next morning in my Civic, which he made fun of immediately. With such an obvious inevitability, it made me smile. Danny misconstrued this as me being pleased to see him. He was wearing an Armani suit, despite the fact he was about to spend the better part of the next three days in a stinking car. I was in an old hoodie and some sweatpants, which is how I dressed almost every day, come to think of it. He went to hug me, but I cut him off with a handshake. My hand tingled as I gripped as tightly as I could. I wondered whether he could feel the hatred pulsing through my arm. We spent the first five hours of the journey listening to the AM radio the signal jumping from static to classic rock as we entered Pennsylvania. We'd argue briefly about the route. I was admonished for not having a satellite navigation system before lapsing into silence. Danny had attempted to catch up with me, but the problem with this exercise was that there were so many taboo subjects. We ran out of things to say after roughly 10 minutes. How's work? How do you think? Kids okay? They're fine. How about them ducks this season? Haven't had much chance to watch. It was painful stuff. We hadn't even talked about the fact Mum had died the day before. We both enjoyed Bon Jovi though, so the radio suited. I decided to stop at a roadside diner near Brookville, Pennsylvania for lunch. I didn't even express the idea to Danny, and he looked slightly perplexed when I parked and got out without a word. He followed me out of the car and joined me at the counter. I looked up and down the menu, unable to find anything even remotely appetising. Danny did the same, looking at me sheepishly out of the corner of his eye. How's Julie? I was born three years after Danny, and he was less than thrilled about the new addition to the family. He apparently used to distract my mum before carrying me out into the cold and rain in the winter and leaving me there. That was a good way of getting off on the wrong foot. Attempted infanticide. But please don't think this is why I hate my brother. These sorts of fits of jealousy are not uncommon. and know my brother took it further than most kids would. We can't look at that as psychopathy. That would come later. We rubbed along as toddlers and infants do in the following years. He went off to school when I started walking, and his fits of jealous rage subsided once he had other children to push around. Mostly, he just ignored me. In the photos of us from that time, he would always be the other side of mum and dad from me, like he was afraid I was infected or something. Things went downhill when my dad got sick. I was seven at the time and didn't really grasp the gravity of the situation. I would pull on my dad's arm to come and play catch with me as he would lie doubled over on the couch in pain. Neither he nor my mum would explain to me why he didn't want to play anymore. It was left up to my brother. One day, he grabbed me by my ear and dragged me into his room. Mum has told me Dad is not going to be around much longer, and when he goes, I'm going to be the man of the house. So you'd better buck up your ideas or I'll flatten you, understand? I didn't. Where's he going? I had asked, to which my brother responded with a slap round the face. That's none of your business, you little baby, he spat. Stop bothering him. And he gave me another slap for good measure. A few months later, my dad passed away. I remember at the funeral asking my mum why she hadn't told me he was sick. She pursed her lips at me, as if I was asking her where babies came from. I told your brother to tell you, she said. I tried to hold her hand, but she pulled it away. I started to cry and she walked off. My brother came up behind me and pushed me. Look at you, crying like a baby. My brother's reign of tyranny had begun that day. Still, this was not the reason I hated him. Kids deal with tragedy in different ways, and though this coping mechanism involved using me as a punching bag, I can't blame him for acting out. Fine last time I spoke to her, I said, staring, but not looking at the menu. I willed myself to concentrate on what burger to eat, willed him to drop the discussion. Mercifully, he did. I could have sworn he was about to apologise, but he hadn't in three years. Nothing Danny has ever done should have ever made me think he was even capable of feeling remorse, let alone voicing it. I ordered my burger from the blonde waitress behind the counter. She smiled falsely at me. And for you, sugar? She obviously hadn't been on the job for very long. You can always tell. The sugars and the darlings seem more genuine. A well-rehearsed ballet of making the customers feel loved, designed for tips and tips alone. This girl just didn't have it yet, young as she was. "'Yes, sweetheart. I'll get the Brookville burger, with extra onion wings. "'And I apologise if my little brother here is a little moody. "'We lost our mum last night.' "'Oh, I'm sorry to hear that,' she replied, "'her face contorting into a look of genuine sympathy. "'She patted she patted Danny's outstretched hand. "'Let's see if we can get you and your bro some coffee on the house.' "'I felt sick to my stomach. "'Mum wasn't even stiff yet, and here was Danny exploiting a death for a free cup of coffee.' and a 19-year-old waitress's cell number. He wasn't even going to see her again, let alone the fact he was at least twice her age. I ate as quickly as possible, threw a few dollars down on the counter, and left whilst Danny was in the bathroom. I got back into my car and took some long, soothing breaths. I knew I had to control my temper if we were going to make it. It took a lot out of me not to just drive off. After a few moments, he came running out of the diner and clambered into the passenger seat, a sleazy smile on his face. She just jerked me off in the bathroom, he said, pubescent excitement spilling out of him. Just walked in whilst I was drying my hands, pushed me into the cubicle and started kissing me, crazy bitch. I closed my eyes, slowly begging for my anger to subside. We really need to get a move on, Danny. We've got a hell of a long way to go. I know, that's why I only got a hand job. As a courtesy, courtesy to you, little bro. For fuck's sake, Danny. I couldn't help it. He looked surprised, like he didn't know I had it in me. I was mostly unable to talk back to him at all throughout our lives. You're almost 50 for crying out loud. Mama's just died. Here it came, his vitriolic retort. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't bear to be challenged. But for once it didn't come. He just turned to face the diner, like he was a sulking teenager who'd just been told off for swearing. I seized the opportunity, turned the engine on, and drove back towards the I-80. The first time my brother put me in hospital, I'm not sure whether it was even him who dealt the decisive blow. There were so many of his friends involved. I had grown up hopelessly small in comparison to Danny. Where everyone had snubbed me when it came to picking teams, he played peewee football and thrived on injuring his opponents. But sadly, not as much as he thrived on injuring his weedy little brother. I was 12 at the time, halfway through middle school. My brother was the first 10th grader in a decade to be picked for the varsity team, yet chose to hang out with the boys his own age, who were much easier to dominate and manipulate into doing his bidding. It was after school. Mum was at work and didn't like me being in the house on my own. On these days, I'd usually go to the park or the library, depending on the weather, and wait for Danny to get home. He would usually lock me out of the house anyway, so I spent most of my spare time waiting around. This particular day, I'd opted for the park. I'd usually just read under the trees or otherwise play on the climbing apparatus. I was doing the former when my brother and six of his friends found me that look of malicious intent in his eyes, the others tagging along despite looking slightly nervous. I opted to ignore them as they approached. If I ran away, I knew the beating would be twice as brutal. If it isn't my nerdy little bookworm of a brother, Danny boomed as he quickened his step. I've been looking all over for you. I determinedly stared at my book. It was a library copy of Moby Dick, I remember. Danny started to run and kicked the book viciously out of my hands. I'm talking to you, you little fucker, Danny yelled. A few of his friends chuckled. I didn't have anything to say. I never did when he was in a mood like this. Danny grabbed me by the scruff and lifted me to my feet. We're going to play a game of football. You're going to play with us. I was momentarily stunned. I'd always wanted to play with him. Sure, he was a jerk to me, but I was desperate for his attention, just as younger brothers everywhere are. I smiled, and my terror abated. Okay, sounds good. Do we? Did I say you could talk? He said through gritted teeth, grabbing me by the scruff again. The terror filled me once again. What did he have planned for me? Was I going to be the football? Danny, Danny let go of me. The teams are going to be me, Brady, Smashmouth, Derek, Steve, and Townsy versus you. He spun round to face me, throwing me the ball. I should have just run away or shouted for help, but I wasn't particularly quick, physically or mentally. I want to make this fair for you, though, fuckwad. You can start with the ball. He was grinning sadistically at me. Line up! His other friends manoeuvred into a line of scrimmage, facing me. I hadn't moved since Danny had thrown me the ball. Ready? He shouted to the other voice. Hut, hut, hut! My brother exploded out of the blocks and smashed his shoulders into my ribs, sending me flying onto my back. His gang then jumped on top. I was totally unprepared and hadn't even tensed. When they all eventually climbed off me, I just lay there, wanting the ground to swallow me up, to take me away from there. The ball had gone flying out of my hands when my brother hit me, and he went to collect it. Unnecessary roughage, Derek, he shouted, picking up the ball. My brother gets the ball again. He yanked me to my feet. I tried to sit back down, nursing my surely broken ribs, but Danny grabbed me by the arms. I'll do much worse if you don't play, he whispered threateningly. I lost count of the number of times I got tackled. The other boys took it in turns, but the net result was several broken ribs, a broken nose, cracked skull and a punctured lung. Danny told Mum that we were just playing and it was an accident. She chose to believe him, despite the overwhelming evidence to the contrary. My brother would hospitalise me three more times before he went away to college, and he never had to face the consequences for his actions. I will admit, this was a factor in my hatred for him, but certainly not the main reason. On we drove, through Ohio and Indiana's flat, boring landscape. The silence between us, like that hush that follows a witnessing, a car crash or an assault. Tense, all-consuming, even a little poignant. He just start, stared out the window, a petulant, almost pained expression on his prematurely lining face. i had only just noticed the wrinkles. Last time I saw him, he looked unjustly healthy, no doubt due to the hundreds of dollars he spent on creams, gym memberships, and whatever else the rich spends to keep the ravages of time at bay. Now he looked pale, blotchy, crow's feet poking out from his sagging eyelids frown lines stretched across his forehead. It was like the hangover he'd put it, been putting off for 30 years was finally hitting him. It made me feel a lot better. Still, the silence was uncomfortably tense, and I didn't like to think what was going through his twisted little mind, so I flicked back on the radio. Some blowhard was going on about the government trying to take away his guns or something, but I wasn't really listening, and neither was Danny evidently. He usually prided himself on his opinion. Back in the days I was actually talking to him, he used to vehemently argue with me about everything current affairs, though I was sure he was just being contrary to prove how much cleverer he was than me. I'd always suspected he didn't even bother to vote. This particular blowhard would usually garner a hear-hear from Danny to to deliberately annoy me. But it didn't come. He just kept staring out of the window at the endless flat fields. When we were rounding Lake Michigan, south of Chicago, we stopped at a drive-thru. It was the first time either of us had talked since the diner. What do you want? Just a Big Mac, he replied, not even looking at me. And maybe some fries and a Coke as well. I ordered and we drove to the next window, paid and picked up our food. Danny didn't offer up any money. It then struck me that Danny hadn't paid for any gas yet either. No doubt he wanted to make me ask for the money back, and he would make a big song and dance about paying it back. That being said, he wasn't acting like his usual brash shelf at all. We drove another three hours to Iowa City, and found a Days Inn just off the interstate, staying. We'd been driving over 15 hours, and for almost a 1,000 miles, yet had talked no more than a few sentences to each other. I couldn't wait to slam the door to my room, maybe watch some TV on my old laptop, or even have a bath if it wasn't too disgusting. I approached a receptionist, an old black lady, obviously pretty pissed at being on the night shift. Two rooms, please, I said, as she looked up from a magazine with nothing but contempt on her face. Actually, Danny said before she could respond, better just make it one twin. I stared at him disbelievingly. There's no point in getting two rooms, bro. What a waste of money. Once more, I was speechless. I thought that was pretty rich coming for the guy who wore an Armani suit whilst travelling across the country in a Civic. I turned towards the receptionist and shrugged. She handed over our key cards and we walked to the room, once again in silence. After a few awkward moments getting ready for bed, we were tucked in. Shall I switch off the light? Danny asked and shrugged again and he clicked the dusty old lamp off. I lay there for a few moments, staring at where the ceiling used to be before the darkness had enveloped it. "'I'm going to try and make this right,' Danny said suddenly. "'I will make this right.' Then silence again. It was almost as if he was talking to himself, like it was too awkward to say it to my face in the cold light of day. I didn't respond. I just lay there awake for a while.' wondering exactly how he planned to make things right. Once Danny went away to college, my life became infinitely better. I was now 15, and my mum evidently thought that was old enough to start ignoring me, and leaving me to my own devices. This was fine by me, and I actually started to thrive. Free from the pressures of my older brother, the kids at school stopped picking on me, and I started to excel. I especially enjoyed history, and was acing most of my other classes as well. Even the teachers seemed to be a lot more drawn towards me, but this was perhaps due to the absence of my brother and his superstar status. My brother would come back from the University of Washington every couple of months, and it was always a gigantic pain. My mum would insist on standing on the lawn and giving him a cheery welcome, like he'd just come back from war or something. I'd hoped that he would soften towards me at college, but he didn't. He went back to those infantile days of ignoring me, unless I'd tried talking to him. He'd give me a harsh one-line response and tell me to mind my own business. We'd sit up at the table in the evenings and eat like a family, something that was reserved only for when Danny was home. He'd talk about all the exciting classes he'd taken and girls he was dating and the fact that the football team had begged him to play. But I told them, no way, I'm here to study, not to get a permanent concussion, he'd say at which point my mum would laugh sycophantically, despite it being the seventh time she'd heard the story. Occasionally he'd bring a girl back with him, but never the same one twice, and he'd always be wearing new and expensive-looking clothes, despite the fact he didn't have a job. This made me curious about where he was getting the money. I was to find out around my 17th birthday. I had just received a letter offering me a place at University of Oregon, majoring in history, I knew my father had left enough money to me in his will to go, and I was beside myself with joy. Okay, it wasn't as far away from my family as I would have liked, but it was a fresh start, and once I had my degree, I could move anywhere I wanted and never see either of them again if I liked. That was the plan anyway. My mum sat me down one rainy afternoon after school, a grim expression across her harsh face. "'I'm afraid I don't have the money to send you to college.' she told me, with the air of a butcher informing a customer they'd run out of stakes. I felt my stomach lurch. But why? What happened to my inheritance? Your brother used it to invest in a classmate's tech firm. This sounded like a lie. Well, get him to take the money back, I snapped. Don't take that tone with me, she yelled back. And besides, he can't. The company went belly up earlier in the year, and he lost everything. A lack of bedside manner was disgusting. I, tra- I tried to hold that familiar anger down, just like I was doing for the whole journey to the wretched woman's funeral. But mum, it's too late to apply for funding. I've accepted my place. They're expecting a cheque. Well, maybe you can apply again next year and get some funny then, she said, getting up to leave the room. Mum, what's he really done with my money? I asked, holding back tears now. I was shattered. For the first time in as long as I could remember, there was a flicker of pity in her grey eyes. I've told you, she said after a long time. I'm off to bingo. There are leftovers in the fridge. And she left me there, tears starting to roll down my face. All my plans for, m- for the future shattered. I sat there for a long time and decided I would simply skip a step. And get, f- get as far away from my family as I possibly could as soon as I finished school. We sat at a grimy formica table in an Iowan waffle house the next morning, sipping tepid coffee and each staring at a copy of USA Today. I heard my brother tut at something and looked up. He was reading an article called Will Wall Street Ever Apologise with a picture of a group of protesters under the headline. Danny was frowning, his his wrinkles all the more prominent for the scowl. Were you talking to me last night? I asked him deciding finally to take some initiative. When? he asked, not looking up from his paper, though, though his pallid cheeks turned puce. Was I talking in my sleep again? he asked, unconvincingly. Just after you switched off the light, you said you were going to try and make things right. Danny continued to look down at the article, his eyes unmoving. He slowly lifted his head, facing me with the steely blue eyes, so like our late mother's. Must have been sleep talking, he said. He looked as if he was daring me to question him further, but I wouldn't take the bait. Fair enough, I said, looking back down at my own paper. He continued to stare at me for a few more moments. We should probably hit the road, he said testily. Apparently I had won that exchange. I was still to this day do not know how. Who knows what was going through the mind of a sociopath. Another ten hours of silent driving followed all the way into deepest, darkest, most beautiful Nebraska. I didn't talk to my family for a while after I left. I sent them the odd email, but they were rarely reciprocated. Occasionally, I'd be lucky enough to have the odd detail from my mum, but it was usually about things I'd left in the house. I found your old little leak bat. Shall I throw it out? Since I had only used it three times and failed to register a single hit, I'm going to go with yes. I heard nothing at all from Danny. I love New York. I got a job at a coffee shop and was a shift manager inside six months. I met Jill, my ex-wife, and we were living together within three months. She was not like any girl I met in Oregon. A Boston girl with the attitude to match the stereotype. I occasionally voiced this observation to her and she scowled. I came to that damn Yankees game with you, didn't I? She retorted once as if that was proof that she'd left her selfie attitude behind. We married at City Hall after being together a couple of years. I'd invited mum out, but she said she couldn't get the time off work. She seemed genuinely sad that she wasn't going to be there, and sent a genuinely lovely card with her congratulations, and our relationship began to noticeably fall. When Jill fell pregnant with our first baby, she was elated and agreed to come out as soon as he was born. I still heard nothing at all from Danny. That was until five years into my life in New York. I received a call to my landline at 3am. Jill was heavily pregnant and was not thrilled about being woken up. We'd better get used to it, I said, kissing her on the head and walking into the hallway of our tiny apartment to answer the phone. If this is a sales call, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. Bro, it's Danny. I fell silent, dumbstruck. Felt all that animosity towards my brother that had been dormant for years course through my veins. Six years, almost six years, and everything he put me through, and he calls me at 3am. Bro, you there? Danny, what the hell is going on? I said finally. Listen, I've been arrested. I can't call anyone else. Can you come down and bail me out? I know it's a lot to ask, but I'll pay you back straight away, I promise. I took a long time to say anything. Danny, I haven't heard from you for years. How did you even get this number? What does that matter? Look, I'm in trouble, and if nothing else, we're family. I just stood there in my pyjamas, utterly disbelieving the audacity of my dear brother. What if I said no? What then? You could rot in that cell. But then I thought about mum, and how we've been getting on so much better. What would she have thought if I'd left him there? All right, where are you? It transpired that my brother had snorted a fistful of cocaine and decided to drive down Fifth Avenue at 70 miles an hour. I learned that from the arresting officer, as I only saw my brother for 30 seconds. I paid his bill, $7,000, and he was released. He walked out, sheepishly shook my hand, and walked out by my side. I turned to ask him what happened, but he was already hailing a cab. I said the first thing that came into my mind. "'What about my money, Danny?' Uh, ''Oh, uh, I'll have it for you real soon, I promise,'' he said, opening the cab door. ''Thanks again, bro. I totally owe you one.'' The car pulled off, and without a backward glance, he was gone from my life once again. Six months later, I received my money back. An envelope arrived with a cheque. No letter, no apology for the payment being so late, which had resulted in us having to remortgage our house. No inquiries about his infant nephew, nothing but his printed name and a signature.'' Mum, however, doted on Andrew, my son, as well as my daughter Lily, who was born two years later. She would come out a couple of times a year and we'd even go back to Eugene every now and then to show the kids where Daddy was from, secretly promising them I'd never move back to a place which held such misery for me. Mum would occasionally go for the odd lunch with Danny when she was in town, but he was usually too busy. I'd occasionally ask her how he was doing and she'd shrug. Who knows what's going on through your brother's head? she'd say, before hastily changing the subject. It was these moments that I thought of as we made our way through the breathtaking landscape of Nebraska, as the sun set over another day of uncomfortable silences, accompanied by the deep-seated anger bubbling away deep inside of me. I thought of the few years I'd actually got on with my mum, when we were content in each other's company, and we even may have loved each other, certainly we respected each other, But that all went, thanks to the man that was sat next to me, flicking between napping and looking out of the window. And it was because I was thinking about those moments that I wasn't paying attention to the fuel gauge. We hadn't passed a gas station for miles, even though we were on the interstate. I decided to take the next exit. If there were no truck stops on the roadside, there was a town 12 miles up the road that would surely have gas. I was getting hungry too, and I had a sudden urge to smoke. Something I hadn't done since Andrew was born. My brother looked up when he realised we were pulling off. Where are we going? His first sentence in almost ten hours. We need gas, I responded, nodding down at the dashboard. Just at that moment, Danny's phone beeped. He lunged into his pocket for it and pulled it out, staring at the screen. He laughed sheepishly. I'm surprised I can get any service out here. I ignored him and carried on up the deserted road, keeping an eye on the gas gauge. He he carried on staring at his locked phone. He reminded me of when I received my acceptance letter from college and was too nervous to open it up. After a few moments, he unlocked it. Motherfucker! he yelled, just as we went over a nail. The tyre burst with a huge bang and we swerved off the road. The reason I hate my brother... The moment when I knew there was no chance of reconciliation came three years before our silent drive. I had just received a demotion at work. There was a rather pathetic incident where one of my employees claimed I had sexually harassed her. She was just a dumb college kid after the coffees chained deep pockets, and her claim was completely unfounded. Still, there was a court case, which he promptly lost, but the damage for me had been done. Due to my outstanding service to the company I was allowed to stay on but as a regular barista I had no choice but to take it and suddenly my family life started to fall apart too It was at this point that my brother decided to get in touch He had completed rehab and part of his out program was to contact the people he'd wronged over the years I'd like to say that I saw through his bullshit right away and told him where to go but I didn't It turned out I'd been craving his apology for years. And once it was administered, I was free to be manipulated once more. And my brother was the master manipulator. He started coming round all the time, playing with the kids, helping with the chores and offering Jill company. On the surface, he seemed like a new man, like his ego had been deflated. The kids loved him, as did Jill. She was wary at first, but warmed to him soon enough. I was working double shifts to make ends meet. I needed the extra help around the house. On one free evening, my brother came round for dinner once more, and he looked purposeful. Guys, I want to help you out. I'm doing okay since I got clean, and I've got a lot of money stowed away. I want to help you. Jill started crying with relief, but my old instincts about Danny kicked in. I didn't want him to own us. I didn't say as much. We're doing fine, I said. Jill got very angry. We ripped into each other as my brother just sat there, eating his string beans. In hindsight, I thought, that must have been his plan all along. I came back from work early a couple of days later. I hadn't had a chance to say I was sorry and to reassure Jill since the fight, and I was burning to. So I switched shifts, bought some cheap sunflowers from a street vendor, and came home. My dear brother was licking my wife's pussy when I walked into the lounge. Right on the sofa, which I had paid for, in 15 different instalments. Right where my kids sat and watched cartoons when they got home from school. My brother was licking my wife's pussy. Her plaid skirt hitched up, her panties round her left ankle, writhing with pleasure. They both jumped up as I walked in. I never saw how they reacted as I turned around and walked straight back out the front door. Hell, they could have got straight back to it for all I know. Of course, I hated him for that, but it was what came next that made me truly loathe him. My brother and Jill started seeing each other, and being the good boyfriend he was, he paid for her divorce lawyer, one of the best in the city. The lawyer dragged up my sexual harassment case and managed to convince the judge that I got off on some sort of technicality, and my guilt was absolute. I lost everything I owned, including the meagre savings I'd put together for the kids' futures, And, as for custody, I was described as a danger to the children due to my promiscuous lifestyle and was given access once a month as long as it was in a public place. That was it. Once a month at a fair or a play park, it amounted to around 30 hours a year. This inevitably got back to my mum, who promptly stopped contacting me. She believed everything Danny, Jill and the courts told her. And from that moment on, all I received from mum were two Christmas cards signed with her Christian name up until she died a few days ago. That is why I hate my brother. I lost my kids and I lost my mum and he gained them. This was his final plot to destroy me. The tackles hadn't worked, the theft theft of my money hadn't worked. Hell, even sleeping with my wife hadn't worked. So he took everything. I spent the next six months living in a hovel in the Bronx, barely making ends meet as I worked with kids half my age at a shitty coffee shop. I'd come home late and just sit in the dark, wishing I had the balls to kill myself. Danny and Jill broke up a couple of months later, at which point I tried to appeal to her kinder side. Finally, eight months before mum died, I was granted visitation every two weeks and the kids were allowed to stay the night. I was just starting to rebuild the tatters of my life when the person who had offered me so little help in life had died and the person who had ruined it altogether had gotten on the phone. He just sat in a passenger seat staring at his phone as I went to the trunk to get the spare tyre. The dormant anger was so overbearing that it took every inch of me not to pick up his phone and throw it into the horizon. We're going to lose the light here, Danny. I need your help. I said through gritted teeth, hauling the spare out of the trunk. He threw his phone into the dashboard and climbed out, walking towards me with purpose. He looked manic. I need your help, little bro. I fucked up. I need your help. I threw the tire onto the ground and reached for the jack. I need your help, Danny. We need to get back on the road. I picked up the tire iron. Danny advanced on me, grabbing me by the shoulders. I need money. I fucked up. I need money. Please, you've got to help me. There was one time I thought we were going to be okay. It was just after Danny had gone out of rehab. We'd gone to a ball game together, something we'd never done before. I had a few beers whilst he nursed a cola, and the Yankees were losing. We hadn't talked much, but I felt very content, at ease in his company, for the first time. I think I know why I was so hard on you, he said, sometime around the seventh inning. I turned to him, raising an eyebrow. For all of his post-rehab apologies, I'd rarely felt his apologies were anything more than doctor's orders. It's because you seem so much happier in your own skin, you know? He said, eyes fixed on the game. I don't think I could handle that. He took a draft of his cola. I was jealous, I guess. I didn't respond. For all I knew, he could have just been saying what I wanted to hear. But in that moment... He appeared to have been honest with me for the first time in his life. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I said. I tried to shrug off his hands. His touch intensified my rage. I need to make it right. I need 200 grand. You've got to help me. He tried grabbing me again. I moved backwards even further. Are you fucking kidding me? I said, the anger finally boiling over. All 41 years of it. Are you fucking kidding me? I didn't know what else to say. I felt my breathing getting heavier. Mum's inheritance won't cover it. Even with your half, I I need more. Are you fucking kidding me? I felt myself walking forward. The tire iron gripped firmly in my sweaty palm. I offered you money once when you were in trouble. I paid for your kids to go on holiday. I. But what else he had done for me, I never found out. I swung the tire iron down on his head, forcing him to his knees. I hit him again across his face, knocking him onto his back. The rage roared inside of me, all those years of misery caused by this pathetic worm of a man. I swung hard again and again, landing each blow to the top of his skull. Blood was pouring from the multiple wounds. He was dead for sure, but I just kept hitting him, the man who had taken everything from me. I just kept striking and striking until what I was hitting was unrecognisable as my dear brother, just chunks of flesh and bone where his head used to be. When I was finally done, I sat there, out of breath, looking out over the horizon, as the sun set over the fields of Nebraska. That was Silent Drive from Tales of the Infinitely Possible, read by the author. In the next tale... Iris escapes a horrible reality with the help of some butterflies. Until then, be kind to your family. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.